1: <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I have to start the show off laughing because well yeah president Trump he's uh back out there winning 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 winner winner chicken dinner on um the tax thing so today on the show I have there's tons just tons uh for us to talk about we're gonna talk about the lies that are being told to us about eating red meat now Full disclosure, I went, I did a little experiment myself for me personally, not because I'm some kind of animal meat hater or, or animal hater. We have a dog we love. We love animals. I love horses or, you know, you name it, the little goats that jump up on each other's backs. I love it all. Um, but I was doing an experiment to see if it would benefit me health wise to eat less meat, starting with red meat and then moving to less meat in general. And so I'll talk to you a little bit about that while we're discussing this story over at NBC News saying they're in their health and heart health area, there's no need to eat less red meat and less processed meat like hamburger, or sausages, et cetera. I think it's all about moderation. And I find for myself, you know, the scale goes up when I'm being immoderate. It goes down when I'm exercising self-control and specifically when I'm planning what I'm going to eat. So we'll talk about that. Did you know that modern research about happiness parallels biblical principles? So it really is true that what God ordains for us makes a difference in our lives if we follow it. Yeah, that's true. So we'll talk about that. Um, Evangelicals actually care more about health care and the economy than they do religious freedom and social issues. Is that surprising to you? Well, it might not be when you connect that up to the next story, which is Americans spending more on taxes in 2018 than on food and clothing combined food and clothing, and I believe housing combined. So our tax burden is so, well, it's hellacious, really. It's so hellacious that we're actually spending more on it than anything else, which makes us unhappy, I think. It, it takes away from our quality of living. So we'll go into that a little bit. I want to start off with what the show is really the title of today's show because I love it when I see the president win. I especially think of it as all of us winning when he wins because if the shoe were on the other foot and the Republicans had created some arbitrary measure by which any democratic candidate would have to like hit that bar or they couldn't be on the ballot in Republican States, Democrats would cry foul. They'd be very upset about that. So the idea that we would have the Democrats saying, we have to see your tax returns or you can't be on the ballot in our entire state. That's just crazy talk. That's. And so a judge smacked it down. Um, The judge, so first of all, the the president tweeted, he said, I won the right to be a presidential candidate in California in a major court decision handed down yesterday. It was filed against me by the radical left governor of that state to tremendous media hoopla. The victory, however, was barely covered by the fake news. No surprise. End tweet. So the judge said, "...that allowing individual states to potentially adopt disparate and inconsistent qualifications for presidential primary candidates tramples the framers' vision of having uniform standards for the qualifications of those individuals running for president. The judge's written ruling repeated a concern expressed during oral arguments that longstanding and less stringent federal financial disclosure rules preempt any additional mandates." Even then, England wrote, there is no basis to believe claims made by state attorneys that the disclosure of tax returns is tantamount to minor requirements that have previously been allowed by the courts. Quote, at base, the act seeks to punish a class of candidates who elect not to comply with disclosing their tax returns by handicapping their access to the electoral process. This is plainly impermissible. Now, this judge was appointed to the federal bench by President George W. Bush in 2002. Of course, the Californians are not to be outdone by the simple existence of the Constitution or a judge who has read it. They plan to appeal. So California's chief elections officer said Tuesday he plans to appeal the judge's order to block the law. Eh, his name is Secretary of State Alex Padilla. Mm. Um, I'm not even going to go into what he said. His quote is irrelevant. Um, he can go ahead and find a judge to overturn England's ruling the president will take it up to the Supreme Court if he has to and he will win there is no requirement in the Constitution that you disclose your tax returns in order to be on the ballot in any state boom bam boom done we already know this so why they're continuing on with this farce I I can't I can't understand it y'all I cannot understand it um so next up so I versus let me just I want to go into something that happened today. So, um, And I don't even remember the name of the organization. It's an it's a organization that has orphanages. They're not really orphanages. They're schools. It's a school in Zambia, um, the nation of Zambia, which is in a, on the continent of Africa. It's on the border with the Congo. They, it borders the Congo to the north, the, the Congo's north of Zambia. So... They have a school there, and 3,000 kids live there. And one of the kids who has gone there is actually here in the U.S., and he was at our kids' school today. And they brought him into to us, uh, the, the mom's prayer group, so that we could pray over him. And he told us about his life, living in the jungle, hunting for snakes and being hunted by mongoose, killing gorillas and bears and wearing their skins for clothing, and really living alone for two years. His father also was in the bush hunting and returning food to the village as he did, but they didn't live together. And then he went through a series of losses where friends of his who lived in the bush with him, who were his age that, mind you, he's like doing this from the age of eight. By the time he's uh, 11 or 12 years old, his friends, they've kind of formed a little group where they live together and they just, they're together um, in this environment. And this kid, he was so soft-spoken. He had a beautiful accent. Just an amazing presentation. We were we were weeping listening to him talk about how he was growing up. Because if you think about your child, you not having enough food to feed your child and your child going off into the bush to hunt for whatever they can bring back for you to eat and for you to be, um, well, you know, to, you can't provide for your child, so they don't live with you anymore. And you don't even see them for two years. They never, they didn't see him at all. He was so deep in the jungle that they, he didn't come out and they didn't know if he was alive or dead. So a few of his friends died and then one by a snake bite, one, uh, I guess he fell and injured himself severely, you know, when they were walking at night, um, all these things. So he's telling us about all of this and he said he was so devastated that he went into the jungle and he searched for months and months and months until he found his father. And when he found his father, the father said, you're old enough now. You can stay here with me. And so they began to hunt together and live together. And he had companionship again, only to have his father fall ill from something that they ate. And he basically was carrying his father to someone he thought might be able to give him some medical attention. And it was a four-day walk. And before he made it there, his father passed away. And so he was so despondent and devastated, having lost all of his friends and his father that he went towards the village and a man was driving a truck and he said, come with me. Cause he, you know, this teenage boy walking by himself dressed in animal skins. He says, come with me. I'll take you to the village where you maybe can, you know, get some help. So they're riding along on this four day drive in this truck to the village and two days into the drive, the truck gets a flat tire and these are dirt roads. So the vehicle's incapacitated. So the guy says, Stay with the truck. I will go and see if I can get a replacement tire and I'll return. Well, after being there for four days by himself, another person happens upon this young, this young Zambian teenage boy. And he says, Why are you dressed like that? You know, why are you wearing skins of animals, etc.? He says, I know of a school where they'll teach you how to read and write and how to live and how to improve yourself. And he says, Come with me. And he says, I, I can't speak the language of people who are, you know, who run schools. I'm not an educated person. I can't do that. And the man just keeps on kind of hounding him and saying, "You have to come with me. I can't leave you here with this broken down truck. You can't stay here. You have to come with me." So finally, he agrees and goes with him, and he takes him to this school that's run by this American couple. They just happen to be of the unpermanently, the not tanned uh, version of Americans, and they have run the school, their sole purpose is to teach these kids how to improve their lives through the first coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and becoming Christians. And so he said in his very soft voice, he said, and so I became a Christian. And I mean, you could have just heard a pin drop in the room. We were just listening. So rapt; our our attention was to what he was telling us. And so he went on to describe how they Taught him how to read and write, taught him, you know, taught taught him all the things that we take for granted, wearing clothes, you know, um, living indoors because he's been living outside, sleeping in trees since he's eight years old Um, and basically gave him this life. And he said, you know, it was only until recently that I learned that millions and millions and millions of people live in places like this. And he was gesturing to the, the room in the school where we were, he said, or have houses such as you have here in your country um and he said it's just been so amazing to learn about how other people live and to see the different different places and and to he said to be here in your place and your in your city he said it's just so fascinating and we were just sitting there you know just thinking to yourself just try to fathom living outside all the time, never living indoors, never having indoor plumbing or electricity or any of that stuff, eating what you kill and then wearing the skins of it, you know, for clothing because you don't have, there's no stopping at the Walmart or, you know, heading over to Nordstrom Rack and spending your Nordstrom notes to get a couple of extra things for free. It's just, it's, it was, it was unfathomable. And so I left there this morning it was kind of emotionally draining because it was just such an unexpected thing that he shared, and I can't wait until this afternoon when I pick up our our daughter, who's this was their chapel presentation today, to hear what she thought about his remarks and about him and about what he shared about how he loves God. And so we gave him a gift. Um, it was it's a wooden cross, um, a carved wooden cross, and he took it and he put it over his heart and he said, "Amazing Grace," and then we just sang it together. And, um, and then he was off to speak to the students. And so we, we, we prayed over him and just, we, it was just such a wonderful time. I wasn't even expecting it to be that. I knew he was coming to speak to us. I knew he was coming from Zambia, um, but I had no idea he was going to impact, at least for me in, in that way. So a little, a little bit of a offshoot, but I would just say as far as the encouragement is concerned, because that, that is encouraging We really don't consider the way other people live. We don't consider how blessed we are to have all that we have. And we're constantly murmuring and complaining and thinking about, well, if only we could do this, if only we could have that, if only I was still working at the old place, you know, (laughs) all that good stuff. And, you know, we're not to lament where we've been placed. God has placed us here for a, a specific purpose for such a time as this. But it is good to consider the lives of others and to know that, um, there, there are other people out there living in many different ways and God is there too with them as well. And, and we can do things to help. So pretty fantastic. Um, so I want to quickly, cause we have about a minute and a half left here, uh, this n- not needing to eat red meat. So first off, if you stopped eating red meat and you're happy, you're a vegetarian or even a vegan, good for you. God bless you. I am not trying to convince you to change your mind. I am, however, sharing this story to debunk this thing where people are saying, uh, you know, meatless Mondays, you have to do meatless Mondays. Well, you don't have to do anything but stay black and pay your taxes, as as many people in my family would say. Now, if you're not black, then you don't even have to do that. But you see what I'm saying? There, There is no you have to stop eating meat or you have to eat meat. I, I was watching one of those Josh Rogan experience shows where he had a guy on who only eats every three or four days. But on that third or fourth day when he eats, he eats 32 ounces of steak, sausage, you know, he's so basically he has one meal and it takes him about three hours to eat it and he doesn't eat again and he doesn't eat anything but meat, just meat. And he only eats that once every three or four days and the guy said he lost like a hundred and some odd pounds doing that. And now he's just all muscle and he only fuels the muscle in his body with this heavy red meat consumption diet. And when the guy told him he should do it, he said it'll, it it actually cured his allergies and everything else. That's a bit extreme. But in other words, don't knock it till you've tried it. And we shouldn't be harshly judging people who've gone vegan or who are vegetarians or who love to eat meat or who are keto or who are whole Thirty you know, or HCG, whatever people are doing for their diet that they feel is best for them. And it's not hurting you. We shouldn't be riding each other and beating each other over the head with the riding crop about what other people are choosing to eat. Um, okay. So I'll actually go over the findings with you when we get back. Stay there.
0: Full blown wildfire was going to occur tomorrow, right where you live. I tell you exactly which neighborhoods it would engulf and how fast it would do it. The first thing you would do is talk with your loved ones and make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a wildfire will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you make a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Good morning, Uglyville! Every ugly doll is unique. I'm Moxie. Bobo. Wait. Those close to me call me Slick Doll. Which
1: is not his name.
0: And every child is, too.
1: They can be pretty.
0: That's why when you travel, you should make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size. That sounds pretty great to me. Keep them safe by visiting NHTSA.gov the right seat. Isn't that right, gibberish cat? Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for the couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with this person. That's actually known as the Treat Stare intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Are the happy dance so coming with this group? But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Sachmo is to meet one. Visit the theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Adcats. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov/the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov/the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so let me first start off by saying that um, I totally understand when people are are kind of freaked out about the fact that they're, you, you know, you want to try something new. And maybe you've been told um, you need to give up whatever, give up meat or what have you. And so that's what you've been doing. And then you meet someone who is losing weight and they're doing it strictly on red meat. Well, remember all of our physiological We're different in every way. And so while a lot of things apply to a lot of us, sometimes we get to a place where we've so messed up our metabolism or some, some part of our makeup that we have to have a drastic change in order to kind of reset things. And I think that's what a lot of these diets are about. It's not so much that eating Whole30 or eating paleo is the only way to go. It's that a bunch of people have found that it worked for them. And so you kind of have to pick your methodology And then stick with it. And that's what I have trouble with. I I get going really strong in the beginning. And then I'm kind of like, what was I doing again? And then before you know it, I'm off it. And then I'm like, why are not I having any results? Well, because I I fell off the wagon. That's why. Um, So this story is about a medical group that basically hates the research results. Uh, So it's two sides here, two factions. So it looks like a panel of experts from seven countries have actually looked at the data and information from thousands of individuals and found that people don't need to cut down their current consumption of products like ham, sausage, lunch meat, and bacon. The recommendations were published in the Annals of Internal Medicine made by NutriRex, a consortium of experts that describes its mission as producing trustworthy nutritional guidelines based on the values, attitudes, and preferences of their patients. The new guidelines come after reviews of previous research on how eating red meat and processed meat affect the risk of disease. Canadian, Spanish, and Polish researchers said they found anywhere from no to very small to a small association between meat consumption and the risk of heart disease, diabetes, and or cancer. Now, people in North America and Western Europe eat two to four servings of red and processed meat on, on average per week. So two to four servings. Okay, so North America and Western Europe. That, does that sound about right to you? Uh, a couple of servings a week, possibly four servings of red and or processed meat. Now, for me, I've stopped eating as much lunch meat um, as I used to before when the kids are smaller and I'd make them a sandwich, I would make one for myself um, because there's a lot of sodium in processed meat. So I, it's almost the thing that I've heard a lot of women that I love and respect who are a little older than me say is that, you know, you have your young diet, what you can eat when you're in your teens and your, you know, twenties and maybe even your early thirties. And then as you get older, each decade, you drop some stuff out and you begin to change. Not only do your tastes change, but you kind of make changes based on, you know, hey, I'm I'm actually not only do I not have as much attraction to that, but I find that when I eat it, I feel sluggish or tired or what have you. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not so much that you're not eating it because you think it's going to kill you. It's that it's no longer serving you well, or you stopped eating it for, like like I said, the sodium. If your doctor has told you, I think you should lower your sodium intake based on, you know, your last blood work. And then you say, okay, well, one easy way for me to do that is stop eating bagged chips, um, stop eating lunch meat. And, it, and sometimes it's those easier choices. Then you can have, you know, sausage or a hot dog occasionally and still enjoy that um, I've actually stopped eating hot dogs too. It's just one of those things where you kind of look at, well, what do I, do I want one? What did I feel like the last time I ate one? And then you kind of go from there. So this, um, this, this package of information, there's Canadian, Spanish, and Polish researchers, and uh, who found that there was anywhere from zero to just a teeny tiny, minuscule association between meat consumption and the risk of heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. So this is kind of like a groundbreaking little bit of information here, if you ask me. Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine filed a petition with the Federal Trade Commission on Monday, and they wanted to correct false statements contained in the report, saying that the report was in and of itself a major disservice to public health. Oh, my. So the headline... um suggested people who eat abundant amounts of meat would actually enjoy good health and need not change their habits was inaccurate. And this is from a group of 12,000 physicians who are saying don't believe the report. So a more precise summary of the research would be modest reductions in meat intake yield uncertain benefits, wrote Dr. Neil Barnard, president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He wrote a letter to the editor-in-chief of the Annals of Internal Medicine, and his letter was signed by members of several respected medical societies, including the Harvard School of Public Health. Meanwhile, the American College of Cardiology said it was alarmed by the reckless dietary recommendations set forth in the study. And they say, they reiterate their position, which is that there's strong evidence that replacing saturated fat like that found in meat with unsaturated fat was associated with a lower risk of heart disease. And so basically, it's these people batting the information back and forth, and everyone's kind of disagreeing with each other. And you have these tens of thousands of doctors in different associations weighing in on what they feel the truth is. Now, I can tell you... When I talk to nutritionists and uh, oftentimes when I talk to chiropractors who also specialize in weight loss and, and everyone kind of ends up with after they explain the plan or, or kind of talk to you about your numbers or they're going over your blood work, everyone seems to come to the same conclusion, which is everything in moderation. So you can have a hot dog. You just shouldn't have one every day. You can eat lunch meat. You just shouldn't eat it every single day. If you're if you're not, you know, in in grade school, you shouldn't be eating that every day. And maybe for a lot of kids, they shouldn't be eating it. If you you know, if your kid is looking overweight, they shouldn't be eating lunch meat every single day. It's really based on individual results. But I think if you're looking at what works, it's less is more. So less salt sprinkled onto or added to food. Less processed food. More fruits. More vegetables. Um, you feel better. It's healthier for you. But am I giving up bacon? No. Am I eating it every day? No. As much as I'd like to because bacon tastes awesome. But it's very salty. And it is, you know, it's, it's a fatty type of a thing. So you can have some. Um, you can have some maybe a couple times a week, I'm thinking. But it really depends on your health situation. And so I'm covering this story because I want people to feel like, um, they're aware, but also to take responsibility and ownership. You can't just say, well, this group of physicians said we shouldn't eat X and think that's going to solve it for you. Cause as someone was pointing out in the chat room, um, some of the veggie burgers have a lot of sodium in them. Some of them have a lot of things you can't pronounce in them. So they're supposed to be veggie burgers. Why are they full of all of these different kinds of Some of it obviously is preservatives, but the other stuff, you're like, why do they need all these extra things you can't pronounce? So just read the package, look at the package, and there's a huge difference between the different kinds of veggie burgers. Um, And I can say to you in all honesty that, so if you hand me a a burger and you say, this is a veggie burger, I'm pretty sure, and and it's between two buns, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it. But if you take two eggs, let's say. And you put, you you know, beat them so that they're going to be scrambled eggs, season them, maybe put in a little bit of shredded cheese. And then, so start off with a veggie patty and cook it on both sides, you know, and you might even put a little olive oil at the bottom of the pan, but this is in a nonstick pan. So you cook the veggie burger on both sides, then add the scrambled eggs and mix it all up together or serve the veggie patty on the side, but you're ending up eating it, you know, basically together together. That's actually really tasty. You could put a squirt of mustard on there, and that's a really great way to eat a veggie burger. and you get part of your daily serving of vegetables that way. And you can veggie burgers can be anything from mushrooms to um, the straight up you know, kale ones. I've found a lot more success in eating veggie burgers that way. Then there's the beyond meat, not meat burgers, which they're made of soy and tofu and some other things. And I've had some of those and they've tasted pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. But when you look at what's on that package for what's in there, you know, you can't eat one of those every day. I I'm, I dare say I would, I would never eat more than one of them in a week because it's not healthy for you. So even in the world of trying to go vegan, trying to go vegetarian, if you're eating processed food, it can be just as dangerous. So everything in moderation, that's, that's, that's the thing there. Um, I thought it was an interesting piece because all they're basically doing is it's a bunch of really fantastic doctors with great credentials arguing with each other. (laughs) Okay, so biblical principles, do biblical principles and living by them actually make you happier? Now, before we launch into this, let me just say to you real quick that being happy is something that we Americans are obsessed with and humans are interested in. But the Bible talks about joy, having joy unspeakable, the joy that gets you through situations. I was that song. I forget who it's by. He says, um, have you ever have you ever met people that keep humming when the song's through? It's like they're living life to a whole different tune. And he's talking about people who have inner joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So keeping that in mind. This is modern research, and this is at the Eternal Perspective Ministries with Randy Alcorn, um, who is the author of fifty some odd books. I mean, it's, it's, he's an amazing dude. Um, he's talking about modern research about happiness. He says in the late nineteen nineties, Martin Siegel, Seligman. Martin Seligman was the president of the American Psychological Association. And he noted that psychology's emphasis on the negative side of life, including depression and anxiety while ignoring the positive, including happiness and well-being, um, was a problem. His observation spurred new research and hundreds of articles on happiness. And one of the best books I've ever read on happiness um, is Happiness is a Serious Problem by Dennis Prager. I'm looking over there. If you're wondering where I'm looking, I'm looking over on my shelf. I see it. Um, I I have the book. we, We read it for book club. It is a great book. It is fantastic. It's so short. You can read it on a plane ride, and it is a wonderful book. Um, so one of the central topics addressed in the studies on happiness was a simple question. Can people become happier? The resounding answer is, of course, yes to a degree, because as there are limits on human happiness, some are genetic, some are related to humanity's general condition, um, which obviously if you're a Christian, you believe that the general condition of humans is sin And living under the curse. And the only remedy is salvation through Jesus Christ. But there's a kind of different way of looking at it. Like, does God want us to be happy? Is he concerned with our happiness? I've heard many differing perspectives on that. Um, So a lot of the truth about people who are the happiness the happiness, people who are the happiest seem to live by truths that really closely parallel biblical truths, um, biblical mandates. So Duke University did a study on happiness, and they claim that their study showed that happiness is fostered by eight factors. The first being avoiding suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge is a major factor in being unhappy. I'm repositioning myself because so oh, I can lean in on this puppy because I'm, I'm actually, this is fascinating. Not living in the past an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. Not wasting time and energy fighting conditions that cannot be changed. People are happier when they cooperate with life instead of trying to run from it. Staying involved with the living world. Happiness increases when people resist the temptation to become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. So if you're stressed emotionally, the answer is not to run off and, you know, lock yourself up and not interact with other people. The opposite is what you should do. I find that other people will impart resilience to you in your time of need. So you basically, you want to seek people out instead of staying home with a tub of Ben and Jerry's or whatever your favorite ice cream is, your Edie's, and getting in the bed and piling up the covers and you know binge watching whatever show. And there's nothing wrong with doing that occasionally. But if you're in the throes of a really rough period or transition or what have you, that's not your first go-to. You want to go be around people. You want to have lunch or call a friend or meet up with a friend. And the reason I say meet up with a friend is because oftentimes when you're looking into the eyes of another person across a bowl of, you know, hot steaming noodle soup or something, everything just takes on a different perspective and they can make you feel better for even just a few minutes looking into their eyes and seeing them interested in what you're saying, what you're going through can mean a world of difference. So it's important. And I know there's a lot of emphasis that's placed on friendships and how, you know, how we treat each other. But sometimes you got to put all that stuff aside and say, I just need to spend time with a friend. And so put aside the last offense or hurt that you've had, um, from that person where they didn't return your phone call or they're not returning your text messages or whatever. And just reach out and say, do you want to go have coffee? Let's go, let's go have some soup or something. Um, I just want to chat. And when you get there, you may not even feel like talking about whatever it is that's bothering you. What I find is whatever is bothering me when I get there to talk and I start listening to my friend talk about what's bothering them, you become drawn in to that, which then means you have an opportunity to maybe encourage them and you walk away encouraged. You may not have gotten to talk about your deal at all, Um, or they may say, what's going on with you? And you kind of tell them a little bit and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, we went through that. You know what I mean? There's nothing better than you're going through something and someone says, I went through that, too. You know what I tried? Or I went through that, too, and it was rough. They don't even offer you any advice or how to fix it. They're not there to fix it. They're just there to say, wow, I hate this. I hate that this is happening to you. It can make a huge difference, which is why we don't want to wall ourselves off. So. Oh, geez. We're almost up with the segment. Um, refusing to indulge in self-pity when you're handed a raw deal. Cultivating old-fashioned values of love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. Not expecting too much of yourself. Um, so basically the gap between your self-expectation and your ability to meet goals. And finding something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We'll have more when we get back. Stay there.
0: You ready, boys? You got a king?
1: Go, Fish Dad! Oh, come on! <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov.
0: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m. Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad
1: Council. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avo bet. A is for taking action.
0: Not anxiety. No, Kevin, you're gonna be fine. You sick? barely. V for variety. Huh? Change up my strategy. Okay. Pose for Optimize Your Savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org/ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right.
1: Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the program. I want to say hey to everybody over on the live stream at com. We have Cheebs, Yorn, Cacti Forever, Chow, Gray Eagle, and um, I think, uh, so Tracy, I see Tracy in here. I'm not sure if there's been a little bit of trouble getting in and out. I, I saw some people saying there was some buffering going on or something like that, um, but Tracy's on here. Um, so thank you guys so much for being on the live stream at StaceyOnTheRight.com. And I want to give you the other half of that article we were just talking about. So check this out. Um, out of the eight items, the author here, um, Randy Alcorn, he says he was reading the study and he found himself writing Bible verses in the margins, summarizing the finding like love your neighbor as yourself, give thanks in all circumstances, forgive each other. So he made a point by point list to the study's eight part conclusion. So number one, Jesus said, don't hold any grudges. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. This is one of the harder ones for me. I have trouble with this one, but I do understand that God has mandated this for me to do. And I choose to forgive and move on. And when I do, I'm happier, just unbelievably happier. The Apostle Paul embraced not living in the past. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, Jesus instructed us not to worry about things we can't change. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of your life? Solomon spoke of of the importance of engaging in human relationships. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Five, Paul knew that contentment was the antidote to self-pity. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Six, the list of virtues described by the secular psychologist looks very similar to this one make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love so sounds a lot like what the bible says will make you happy seven we're reminded of our limitations And then we're constantly in need of mercy and grace. God has willingly showered these gifts on us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And number eight, Jesus said we should focus on what's bigger than ourselves. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Furthermore, we are better off with others Centered humility than self centered arrogance. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So, a secular study such as this, especially scientific studies, will never actually talk about how things that they found in the study echo what the Bible tells us to do. But we know that researchers will admit the truth when they're asked directly. Sonia Libormisky is one of the best known happiness researchers in the world. She admits, I don't have a religious or spiritual bone in my body. But she says the studies clearly show that religious people are happier. Her advice, if it seems natural for you to practice religion and spirituality, then by all means do it. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't we be able to attract more people to practice Christianity if we as Christians were happier people ourselves? If when people looked at Christians, they saw giving, caring, loving people, who went out of their way to exercise the tenets of true biblical Christianity, wouldn't they then be much more inclined to want to know more about it? So as someone who can be very judgmental and is constantly talking about the wrongs that we see in Washington, D.C. and across the country, I understand we, there's a there's a place of balance. We have to tell the truth. Um, but we also should be caring for each other. And people are much more interested in how you care about them than what you think about, political beliefs, let's say. Um, And those things can change. I mean, I was a liberal once. Now I'm a, you know, hardcore, rib-rocked conservative Christian worldview. It can happen. Um, So this link is also at listen.staceyontheright.com. When the podcast goes live today, you will be able to click this link and share this information. As I read through it, I instantly thought of people that I know who complain about not being happy and complain about their circumstances But they are in the throes of being suspicious and resentful, living in the past, wasting time and energy on fighting things with, you know, people that they live with that that are never going to change, et cetera, et cetera. So um, if you find any of it helpful, definitely share it. Let someone else know that this is information, especially that they can verify that these Bible scriptures exist and go along with whether or not someone's happy. So. Speaking of evangelicals, guess what? There's a study out that shows that evangelicals care more about health care and the economy than religious liberty and abortion. Which three of the following public policy concerns are most important to you? Christian said health care at 51%. Oh, my goodness. The economy at 49%. And... Jeez, national security, lowest on the list, not sure nincompoops, and LGBTQ rights, which <laughs> nobody cares about. People are like, no, I don't care. I don't care. Um, so there. this was a LifeWay research poll released this month that asked both self-identified evangelicals and respondents with evangelical beliefs to identify their top three public policy concerns. Now, I want to issue a caveat here. A lot of the liberal, um, like the activist wing of liberals and Democrats, they seek to redefine what evangelical means because they want to dupe evangelicals into voting for them the same way they were able to dupe Catholics into voting for President Obama and his hardcore uh, social experimentation. Why should they change their policies when they can simply change what an evangelical means? They're saying that black evangelicals and Hispanic evangelicals evangelicals care about racial justice and social justice and abortion, but they're still evangelicals. Well, in order to be an evangelical, you need to believe in the risen Lord and Savior, um, that Jesus Christ is God, um, that the Bible is true and inerrant. And then there's a whole host of issues that are in the Bible that you also believe, namely that, you know, God protects life from birth. Uh, from conception to natural death, not birth, conception to natural death. And that um, the way that we vote matters. I mean, there's there's a lot more to being an evangelical Christian than just saying, um, I believe the Bible. Okay, you believe it, but do you live by it? Are you willing to actually crack that puppy open and read it for yourself, understand it for yourself, and maybe even do some study? That's where you get in a room with other people who've also studied the same patches, passages and you might even argue a little bit. You might disagree about what you've read. And then you go to the Concordance and, and, you know, other books that have been written by scholars where they unpack what the Bible says and they cross-reference. And you know what I mean? That, like, there's more to it than just running around saying, oh, I'm an evangelical too. I just don't believe, you know, I don't believe in abortion restrictions. Oh, what? Like, oh, what is this? What What are you saying right now? Um so that that to me was pretty fascinating that they have this study out and that they found that. So as we wrap up the show here, I want to talk about this tax issue. This is something that you you, you guys know how I get in April. I get straight ticked about the tax burden, what we have to pay, why we have to pay it. It it angers me. I, I'm done denying it. I'm done acting like it's. I, it angers me. I don't like it. So Americans spent more on taxes in 2018 than on food, clothing, and health care combined. I said housing, health care, food, clothing, and health care combined. So in 2018, your tax bill was bigger than all of that. On average, Americans spent more on taxes than they did on the basic necessities of life. This is according to information compiled by the Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Expenditure Survey. The survey's recently published Table R1 for 2018 lists the average detailed expenditures of what the BLS calls consumer units. Consumer units include families, single persons living alone or sharing a household with others but who are financially independent, or two or more persons living together who share their major expenses. In 2018, according to Table R1, American consumer units spent an average of $9,031.93 on federal income taxes and five thousand twenty-three and seventy-three cents, so over five thousand dollars on social security taxes. The table calls those deductions two thousand two hundred eighty-four on state and local income taxes and two thousand one hundred ninety-nine on property taxes, and then another almost hundred dollars on what BLS calls other taxes. Do you hear these these tabulations? So the combined payments the average American consumer unit made for these five categories of taxes was $18,617.93. Remember, that's the average, so millions, tens of millions of Americans paid even more than that. At the same time that they were paying these taxes, the same consumer unit was spending $7,900 on food, $4,900 on health care. And eighteen hundred on apparel and services. These combined expenditures equaled nearly fifteen thousand. Do you see the problem here? If every illegal alien costs every American taxpaying unit twenty eight hundred dollars a year, which is the last number I've seen, then there's there's the cost of illegal immigration right there for you. You would be paying less in taxes that you're spending on your uh, consumer goods. Um, you know your your different individual items, um, your basic necessities like food, clothing, and healthcare you'd be spending less on taxes than you're spending on those things if you weren't subsidizing illegal aliens being here in the country. So it goes into some more detail. You should definitely check out the story. Um, I wanted to circle back around because, well, there's been some really fun stuff going on in the way of... uh, you know, the president and what he's been able to accomplish with this whistleblower thing. So uh, earlier today, I was reading and I saw that the Democrat, Adam Schiff, actually met with the whistleblower before the complaint was filed. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, I mean, maybe he knew about it. Maybe. I'm the queen of Prussia. He knew about it. This was orchestrated. It's a witch hunt. And why are we still going through with it? So I, I said earlier today on a local radio program that I'm doing regular hits on now that we got to get a team of the hungriest interns there are in DC in a room with a never ending pizza and sushi delivery type situation Um and just get these guys in there to go over the rules, the procedural rules of what can and can't be allowed for, for them so the Republicans can fight back. Because um, the Democrats don't want anybody subpoenaed. Like yesterday I was talking about subpoenaing people uh, like Hillary Clinton and Obama, etc. Democrats don't want that. They don't want those people subpoenaed. And I know why, because it's going to make them look bad. But that shouldn't be the consideration here. There has to be a way to fight back against this. So instead of only talking to the major news shows and kind of going back and forth, what we need is to see Americans actually given the opportunity to consider this information impartially. And the Republicans need to have a say in it as well. Just because they're in the minority doesn't mean they can't do anything. Um, So, you know, this just points to how stuck the Democrats really are. Um, So Hillary Clinton and the popular vote has been something that they've been talking about incessantly. And it's so annoying. It's unbelievable. They think that they can win. It's pretty rare for the incumbent to lose the election. And... So President Trump has like a 73.6% chance of actually winning again. And every reelected president usually adds states to their tally. So I'm going to just say, you know, I think Trump's going to win again. How about that? <laughs> okay. Listen, you have a fantastic evening. God bless you. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Stacy on the right.